Today is part one of our new series entitled, What is the Gospel? What is the Gospel? We launched the fall community groups this past Friday evening, presenting this question, what is the Gospel? Beginning this series on Communion Sunday makes it extra special. There's no greater message than the gospel. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The gospel is called good news because it addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings, and that problem is simply this. God is holy and just, and I'm not, and neither are you. And at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before a just and holy God, and I will be judged as you will, too. And I'll be judged either on the basis of my own righteousness or or lack thereof or the righteousness of another. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pens in the Old Testament book of Isaiah 64.6. But we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade away as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a life of of perfect righteousness, of perfect obedience to God, and he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and the righteousness of Almighty God. Think about this this morning. For God to forgive me and to forgive you is a very costly matter. It cost a sacrifice of his own son. So valuable was that sacrifice that God pronounced it valuable by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ died for us and was raised for our justification. The word justification or justified means just as if we have never sinned. What a miracle of grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the apostle Paul writes, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to to the scriptures. The apostle Paul proclaims in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. How many believe here today? The gospel is the heart of the Bible. Everything in scripture Either is either preparation for the gospel. If you're taking notes, write this down. Everything in Scripture is either preparation 
for the gospel. Presentation of the gospel or participation in the gospel. Let me share that with you again here this morning. Everything in Scripture is either preparation for the gospel, the Old Testament, presentation of the gospel, the New Testament, Christ coming, participation in the gospel. That's you and me. Consider these words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul is reminding the Christians of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, don't forget. Don't forget. Why why is this important? Because the Corinthians were saved by it, sustained by it, and are, were presently standing on it. And the whole idea with standing on it is that the gospel is the surest of foundations. And not only were the Corinthians saved by it, sustained by it, and standing on it, but you and I today as followers of Jesus Christ are saved by the same gospel. Sustained by the same gospel. And we are standing on the sure foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the old hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking stand. Where do you stand today? Paul says, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. When Jesus shared in the Passover meal with, with his disciples on the night in which he was portrayed, he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or, or communion. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Paul repeats, do this in remembrance of me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 twice while writing to the church in Corinth about the, the Lord's Supper. You see, the emphasis not to forget the true gospel, and I stress the true gospel is of tremendous importance. In fact, Paul says, first of all, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, all according to the scriptures, the gospel, the good news was Paul's first message that he shared with the Corinthians. There's several reasons why remembering is important, church. And throughout the series, we'll talk more about why. But here's one reason. 
The idolatry that exists in, in man's um, heart always wants to lead him astray from his Savior and back to self-reliance. I fight that battle. I have that personal struggle. No matter how pitiful that self-reliance is, or how many times that self-reliance has betrayed us, man's heart always wants to lead him away from his Savior and back to self-reliance. Paul addresses this reality in Galatians when he writes, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You see, religion is usually the two that self-reliant, the the self-righteous person uses to exalt himself or to exalt herself. And this isn't anything new. The Apostle Paul lays out in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, his religious credentials and practice as an example of what man can accomplish with discipline and hard work. In that passage, Paul states that all his religious effort, his impressive checklist of all his accomplishments included, amounts to nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of Christ. Nothing. He goes a step further and even calls it rubbish. The word in the original English is dung. Cow doo-doo. The gospel that says Jesus plus works equals salvation is not the true gospel. That's not good news. It's more bad news. Think about that. All your church attendance, all your religious activity, your journals, having a quiet time reading scripture, it's all in vain if you don't have Christ. If you're not saved, sustained, and standing on our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are saved, sanctified, and sustained by what Jesus did for us on the cross and through the power of his resurrection. That, my friends, is good news. And the world needs to hear this good news. They hear bad news every single day. We have the good news the world is wanting to to hear. The media is not going to share it. God hasn't given them that responsibility. He's given you and me, his church, that responsibility. Church, if you add or subtract from the cross, you rob God of his glory in Christ of his sufficiency. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is no condemnation for us, not because of all the great stuff we've done, but because Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death, my sin in the past, forgiven. Your sin in your past, forgiven. My current struggles covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. My future failures paid in full all by the infinite, matchless grace found in the atoning work of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Paul writing to the church in Colossae, he writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Wow. Thank God for the gospel and the grace found and contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is the gospel, the good news. The Holy One has made us holy through his death and resurrection. And because of that, we can see the Lord. We can see God. We can know God. We can walk with God. And one day, we will be with him for all eternity. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It contains both the grace and glory of God. The grace and glory of God makes the gospel powerful. In the New Testament, grace used 156 times takes on a special redemptive sense in which God makes available his favor on behalf of sinners who actually do not deserve it. Tremendous emphasis in the New Testament is placed upon this fact, upon this truth, that human salvation is the result of God's grace and God's grace alone. In preparation for this series, I began to look at the, the, the gospel story from a different perspective. The Bible establishes two frames of reference for the gospel. Number one, I have it on your outline, the power of grace for human transformation. We see clearly the work of the cross in our lives and in the lives of those around us, the, the, the capturing and resurrection of dead hearts. In fact, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he, he writes, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and have been made alive, resurrected in Christ. We see clearly the grace and glory of God when the gospel is preached and people believe and repent and are baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We, we see clearly the grace and glory of God. Also in the gospel is the power of grace for creation's restoration. We often overlook this part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23 say, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. How many know something about this groaning? Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, even with the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Notice something here in Romans 8, 22. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Notice, creation is not undergoing death pains, but birth pains. There's a day of delivery. What an eternal perspective. If all we see when we get up and go through our day, how everything around us is dying, we miss the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul does not say, laboring with death pangs, Mm -mm. but birth pangs. There's a day of deliverance, church. There's a day of delivery. It's already, the delivery date has already been set by God. The doctors have set a delivery date for our daughter-in-law and our son's first child, April 1st. God has chosen the delivery date. One day, all of creation will be delivered. Isn't that glorious, church? When we consider the gospel, the atoning work of Christ culminates and reveals to us the big picture of God's plan of restoration from the beginning of time to the end of time and the redemption of his creation. We see the gospel in this light in Jesus' declaration in Revelation 21.5 um, when, when Jesus um, said he, he's, he's making all things new. What a beautiful revelation. Right now the whole creation groans. But contained in the gospel is the promise that our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is making all things new. There is a day of delivery. In Revelation 21, John is given a vision of a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 21.4 it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Can I hear a big amen? amen? Why? There shall be no more pain. Why? For the former things have passed away. He's making all things new. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It transforms the human heart, and it restores all of creation. The gospel is good news. One gospel, two vantage points, both necessary in order to begin to get a glimpse of the size and weight of the gospel, the good news, the finished work of Christ on the cross. What sin has destroyed, the gospel has restored. So often when we speak about the gospel, we focus mostly on human transformation and give no thought to how the gospel also provides restoration for all of creation. Both man and all of creation was cursed as a result of the fall. To fully grasp both the depth, yet simplicity of the gospel, it's important to understand that the great message of the gospel begins not with us. Or our need or even the meeting of that need, but with the writer of the good news and the sender of its messengers, God himself, God himself. The cross provides us access to relate to God. 
but we must always relate to him in light of who he is, not just who we think or hope him to be. Church, behind Calvary is the throne of heaven. And the deeper we go into God's grace and glory, the deeper we will find ourselves in the precious work of Christ on the cross. Think about this. I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days. The primary purpose of the gospel is not our salvation as much as it is a revelation of God's grace and glory. And in his grace and glory is salvation's provision for fallen humanity. The emphasis is on God, always on God. If we make ourselves the focal point, we miss the power that lies within the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the grace and glory of God. Father, I pray over these next few minutes as we look at today's text that through the power of your spirit, you would communicate through your servant. I need you, God. Speak, I pray. Through me. Your words from heaven, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verses 33 through 36. Paul writes, All the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him, for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The apostle Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, writes this passage. In it, we have a great primer on the glory of God, the glory, the glory, the glory of God. Paul is basically quoting a song in this passage, and this particular kind of song is something we call doxology. The word comes from two Greek words that together essentially mean words of glory. And there's a song called doxology that we sing in our worship service. It starts off with, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I love that song. What is it about the gospel of Jesus Christ that would drive Paul to break out in song? Paul's writings, when you read his epistles, he was not poetic. A brilliant intellect. He was not one that would begin to just break out in song to convey a spiritual truth. What is it about the gospel of Jesus Christ that would drive Paul to break out in song. Hold the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You see, in the first century, when Paul wrote Romans, worshipers would have quoted in the temple Psalms 50.10 as an example to convey God's richness and, and sovereign ownership. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. This was a way of framing riches. Made, this way of framing riches made sense in the temple because temple worshipers came from a society built on farming and ranching. For every beast of the forest is mine, the Lord would say, and the cattle on a thousand hills is a way to communicate the depth of the riches of God. And they could grasp it. 
Today we read Psalms 50.10 and have to chew on it, maybe for days, weeks, because we live in a day where we can launch things into space and see, see light years away. Every beast in the forest is his. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. This means he owns all the cows. And he owns all the hills. It means that he made all the cows and he made all the hills. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. Every sky church on every planet in every solar system in every corner of the universe belongs to God. He is the owner and creator of them all. Nothing that exists belongs to anyone else other than God. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which God, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine, mine. The human mind is phenomenal. Why is it phenomenal? Because it's God's. He made it. And human hands have proven to build amazing buildings. Why? Because they're his. He made them. But we are not able to create raw material. If you're a writer, you can write only as well as you understand language, diction, and, and gra grammar, and, and general art of, of writing. If you want to paint a picture, you can paint only as well as you have developed your skills using whatever paints are available to you and only the colors and combinations that already exist. If you want to build a house, you will be fenced in by whatever, credit, whatever your credit line is, whatever equipment you can afford, and whatever raw material is already out there. You see, church, we are great at creating, but our creating is always dependent on our creator. Not so with God. He is the creator. God creates anything he wants, and he does it all out of nothing. I mean absolutely nothing. It's incredible. He doesn't need raw materials. Why? Because he makes raw material. God is not limited like you and I. We are always limited by what is available to us and always dependent. We're getting nearer to the impulse that causes Paul to sing, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He created the universe. He created the planets. God's creativity is so rich, so expansive, so far above us that he simply says universe, and universe comes into existence. Try that right now. This is just the tip of the iceberg of the things of God that are beyond us. You and I are limited by what we can't afford or by what we can afford and what's already been created. We are dependent on our creator. And maybe you've heard of scientists creating life in a laboratory, but that will never happen. No scientist has ever been able or will ever be able to stare into an empty dish and whoosh the nothing it holds into something. 
no matter how big man gets here, that will never happen. Whatever it is scientists do, they do with raw materials already created by the creator. There is nothing confining to God, church. Nothing. Nothing. You're just getting a glimpse of what would make Paul sing from his soul. Hold the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How deep is the wisdom and the knowledge of God? God knows every word in every language and every sentence and every paragraph and every chapter of every book ever written. Do you? He knows every fact of history, past and future. Do you? Every bit of truth discovered and undiscovered. Do you? Every proof of science known and unknown. Do you? God knows everything. He knows the temperature at which certain stars burn. He knows every mountain and every mountain range on this planet and others. He knows the depth of every ocean. He knows every storm and every molecule. He knows their positions. He knows their locations. And he knows their functions. In addition to the exhaustive depth of his knowledge is the exhaustive breadth of his knowledge. God is aware of every event that has ever occurred and will ever occur. And he knows completely how each event affects other events that create still more events that roll into other events and so on and so forth. He knows what this presidential election, this event, he knows it's how it's going to produce other events. He knows exactly what those events look like. He knows it all, church, and he knows it all without sticky notes. Sticky notes remind me how small I am and how big God is. Romans eleven thirty three tells us that the depth of the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge is so incredibly deep and eternally powerful, so much so that it's impossible for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. How can God see everything? There's nights that I sit and I just think about these things. And then I have to stop. How can God see everything? How can God know everything? Have all power and do all that he does. I don't know. Paul writes, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. In the scope of eternity, our life is a vapor. James 4.14 says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. James asks us to consider the frailty of human life and the fact that we live and move only at the permission of God. How humbling is that reality? In fact, Acts 17, verse 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. This crucial truth is at the root of Paul's awestruck confession in Romans eleven thirty three. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. This is God's way of saying through the apostle Paul, Are you serious? I mean, are you serious? You're going to scrutinize how I govern? who I raise up and put down? Do you know how small you are? 
Isaiah 40, 22 answers this question. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. God's sovereign knowing is so beyond our control and knowing. Romans eleven thirty four says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? The answer, the answer is nobody. Nobody gets to counsel God. Nobody gets to give God advice. Nobody gets to straighten God's path. No one. How often do I find myself giving God advice when I'm praying? And I'm mapping out a plan that's going to give him glory. Like he really needs my advice. Like he really needs my plan. The truth of the matter is my advice and my plan is not about the glory of God. It's about what Pat wants, what Pat wants to see, first and foremost. Boy, you're quiet. Now, we do have revelation from God. He has revealed enough of his, of his character and attributes to save us. He gave us the scriptures. Paul writing to Timothy tell, tells him in 2 Timothy 3.15, From childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He speaks to us through creation. Psalms 19, verses 1 and 2, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night after night reveals knowledge, the knowledge of God. God has revealed enough of himself to us to save us, but not so much that we would ever be able to counsel God. He doesn't need to be counseled. Paul continues in Romans eleven thirty-five, 35, Or, who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. Church, God has not borrowed from man. God has no need to. If everything is God's, you have nothing to give him that he doesn't already have. Who has given him so much that he needs to pay him back? No one. God owes no one anything. He doesn't need our help with anything. In fact, Acts 17, 25 says, nor is he worshiped or served with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. The New Living Translation says it this way, human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. This truth is for the revelation of God's grace because it shows that he doesn't need us. Rather, he wants us. Church, he wants us. That's the beauty of the gospel, the grace and glory of God. Not that he needs us, but he wants us. It's beautiful. We've heard it said. We've said it. I've said it. God needs us. His, his work can't be done without us. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He made you and me and all of creation to reveal his glory. Church, he wants us. God can reveal his glory in any way he chooses. 
Not because he needs any of those ways, but because he wants to. And he wants us. Have you had any bad thoughts this week? Have you sinned? Have you had a bad attitude? Have you looked at something that you know is displeasing to God? God wants you. God wants you. Not because he needs you, but because he wants you. We were not created as some missing link in God's emotional experience in heaven. When Christians realize how incredibly self-sufficient God is all within himself, the three-in-one, the gift of Christ to us and for us becomes all the more astonishing and, and breathtaking. And all I could think the last couple of days is this. The true gospel takes our breath away. When we, when we encounter the true gospel, when it makes a, a deep impression on us, it takes our breath away. We stand. We kneel, we lay prostrate in the awe of God who wants us. Wow. Paul continues in Romans eleven thirty six, proclaiming, For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory, to him be glory forever. Amen. There is an unequivocal declaration that the ultimate origin of everything that exists and will exist can be traced back to the hands of God and no further. Church, our very existence has been gifted to us by his grace and for his glory. The Bible is a book, not about us, but about God. The Bible is for us, but it's not about us. From beginning to end, the scriptures reveal that the foremost desire of God's heart is the glory of his name. The Old Testament prophet, Habakkuk, he writes in Habakkuk 2.14, promises that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the story of the Bible, not you or me. It is God and God alone, God's name, God's namesake alone. The point of everything is God's glory alone so, so that to God alone will be the glory that we will not share in any of his glory. We will not rob him of his rightful place. The Westminster Confession of Faith says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We can call this worship. Worship, not confined only to singing, it is a way of life for those whose breath have been taken away by the glory and grace of God. Worship is the attributing of ultimate worth to something or someone. You see, when this ultimate worth is attributed to anyone or anything other than the one true triune God of the universe, it is idolatry. The root of Christian worship is acknowledging, submitting to, and enjoying the supremacy of God's glory in all things, even in our congregational worship. Church, 
apart from understanding God and, and worshiping Him in this way, everything becomes superficial, everything. Everything from congregational worship to serving, to giving, to dinner, to marriage, to intimacy in marriage, to kids, to work, to faith, to the gospel itself. Everything becomes superficial, becomes shallow about us and not about God's grace in God's glory. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a brother who I'm discipling, and he, and he came and he, and he shared with me one morning how, how, Pastor, I nailed Jesus to the cross. I nailed Jesus to the cross. I nailed him there. My sins nailed him there. Am I that big and powerful that I can nail Jesus to the cross? I says, brother, no, 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 no. You did not nail Jesus to the cross. Mm -mm. This was God's choosing. This was God's choosing. This was his plan before the foundation of the world. Grab a hold of that if you would. The emphasis is on God. The grace and glory of God. And in that grace and glory of God is a love so amazing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son as the perfect lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. For God so loved the world. The emphasis is always on him. From Genesis to Revelation, it's a book all about almighty God. Who does love you and me. Not because he needs us to complete himself. He's never not been complete. But because he wants us. He wants us. He wants us. Oh, the grace of almighty God. So what is the gospel? It is the grace and glory of God revealed to fallen humanity through Jesus' death and, and glorious resurrection. And throughout the next several weeks, we're going to unpack what this gospel is. The depth, the weight of this gospel is truly Truly amazing. It's not just any good news. It's not just any good news. It's not on even plane with any other good news. It is a good news unlike any news ever heralded or proclaimed. Those assisting with communion, would you come at this time, please? I hope and pray that your faith is built up in the gospel of Jesus Christ.